0: I want you to look with me, if you would, Proverbs chapter 14, and verse number 1. The Bible says, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. He that walketh in his uprightness feareth the Lord, but he that is perverse in his ways despiseth him. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. Now look in verse number 4. Where no oxen are... The crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. Tonight I'd like to preach to a message that I'm entitled Hard Truths. Hard Truths. The uh, chapter that we've come to here tonight in Proverbs 14, Solomon, I believe, writes some things that uh, do not seem really to be possible uh, or do not seem to be true from a human or a fleshly vantage point. The truth of the matter is that throughout God's word, we discover truth that runs, in many respects, it runs counter to man's fleshly understanding or man's fleshly knowledge or even fleshly experience. Let me give you some examples of that. In Proverbs 13, in verse number seven, so you're there in 14, just go back to one chapter to Proverbs 13, look at verse number seven. Now here is a truth that is given that doesn't make sense to our to our carnal minds, and yet there's a spiritual truth here. Look at at it with with me, if you would. Verse number 7 of Proverbs 13. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. Now, we would read that, and we would think to ourselves, well, now, how can that be? Either you're rich or you're not. Either you're poor or you're not, and yet God, in 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 the form of His Holy Spirit, is communicating a truth uh, to the uh, Old Testament King Solomon that says there are those that make themselves rich and yet they're very poor; they have nothing, and there are those that make themselves poor and yet they have great riches. Well, we certainly understand that there's a there's a spiritual truth that can be gleaned from this text, isn't there? Uh, that those who live for, uh, for this world's possessions and this world's materials and those that uh, live solely for those sorts of things, in reality, oh, well, they may accumulate a lot of this world's goods, but they're very, very poor because they have no, they have no eternal riches. They have no spiritual riches. They have no treasure laid up for them uh, in heaven. And on the other side, there are those that really don't pay a whole lot of attention to making themselves rich here on this earth in fact by this world standards they're very poor and yet they have great riches right so so we understand that that's a truth that is sort of hard for the human mind to understand Uh, in ecclesiastes chapter 11 in verse number one the bible says this cast thy bread upon the waters for thou shalt find it after many days Now, you'd read a verse like that and you'd say, now, hold on a minute. How is it possible that I can take my bread and I can throw it to the water and come back several days later and find it there? Well, there's a principle here, no doubt, of sowing and reaping. And, and 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 so the the human mind would read that and say, well, that must be a contradiction. Uh, God has made a mistake here because if you cast your bread upon the water, you're never going to find it after many days. And yet, and we understand that that's a there's a spiritual truth or connection that is being made. I um, I, I think of Second Corinthians chapter four. In verses seven to 10, we, we find a, another example of this. Um, Paul is writing, he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So in other words, he's, he's saying, listen, we have a treasure in these earthen vessels. Now, if you've lived any length of time, you know that this earthen vessel is not a treasure, right? This earthen vessel is, is cursed, and it is in a continual state of uh, of brokenness and of deterioration. And yet Paul says, "No, wait a minute. We have a treasure in this earthen vessel. And here's here's what it is: that we can do God's work through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that God can use broken people like us. And when He does, when He does, here's what happens: that He gets all the glory, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Then he goes on to write these words. He says there. He says later, he says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Now, how can that be? How can we be troubled on every side and yet not distressed? That doesn't seem like that would make a whole lot of sense. Then he, he doesn't sound there. He says, we are perplexed, but not in despair. He says, we're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. So, so we read that and we think to ourselves, how in the world can someone be troubled but not distressed? How in the world can someone be perplexed but not in despair? How can they be persecuted but not forsaken? How can they be cast down but not destroyed? How are these things true? Well, they're hard truths, hard to be understood from a human or a fleshly perspective or vantage point. But when we understand the true teaching that is being given here, we understand that God is behind all of this. God makes us flourish in spite of our circumstances. Well, then we can make the connection. Well, you know the Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse number 6 that without faith it is impossible possible to please him and i just have to tell you if you're going to live the christian life and you're going to live it happily and you're going to live it successfully you have to do so by faith i um i I talked about brother peter just a minute ago and i i if i was doing what he was doing i wouldn't be able to sleep at night i mean honestly bringing a group i've been thinking to myself how am i going to get people to come to this thing how am I going to fill up a venue that seats 3,000? Have I bitten off more than I can chew? How am I going to rate? You know, but you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that God unusually blesses great steps of faith like that. You know what I need? I need to spend more time with people like that because, because a lot of times I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm like making sure every, all my ducks are in a row. I, I don't want to step out and, 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 and try something unless I know for sure uh, that it's going to work. And you know what I think? I think God every once in a while calls us to step out and do something crazy. I, I believe that. I I really do. I believe that God is looking for unusual faith. If we're going to live a life that is pleasing to Christ, we must do so by faith. We must believe and obey the Bible, though the world views it with disdain and with contempt. The world, you know this, the world views this book as a myth. This book is a collection of fairy tales as far as the world is concerned. And you know, there's a growing, there's a growing group of people that actually believe this book is dangerous. That's the world that we're living in. We understand that as believers, however, we believe this book is given by inspiration of God and that it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Listen, so that when we come to a hard truth, when we come to something that doesn't seem to be so, because we understand who gave us this book, we have to accept it and we have to believe it. Sometimes we have to even wait for God to teach us these truths because they do not come to us fleshly or in a natural sense. Here's, what we, here's how we view God's word. We view it as light. The Bible says it's light. Psalm 119 and verse number 130. We view God's word as being perfect. It is perfect. It is complete. It is without error. We believe that it is more to be desired than gold and that it is sweeter than honey according to Psalm 19 and verse number 10. And so to live according to this book and according to its teaching, uh, you might be considered radical, you might be considered extreme, you might even be considered dangerous, but listen, we are convinced, we are convinced as God's people that we ought to obey God rather than men. So tonight I want to give you some hard truths that are found in Proverbs 14, And if we're willing to do the work and adjust our way, I think we'll discover blessing in these things. This chapter starts off in an unusual way. It starts off in verse number one. And here's the first hard truth that all of us need to understand is this. Number one is this. Ladies in the room, you have more influence than you think. Ladies, you have more influence than you think. Look in verse number one. Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. Now, I suppose the world has long been considered a man's world. Certainly, certainly during the period in which this, these verses, these collection of scriptures were written, was ruled by men in every position in society. It was extremely rare for a woman to lead in any way, almost unheard of. But Solomon here acknowledges a truth about women that every woman in this room would do well to sit up and take notice of. And that is this. The truth is this. Ladies, you can make or you can break your home. That's what he's saying here. That you have an opportunity to build up your home or or through your life and lifestyle and your behavior, you can tear your home apart. In jest, in jest, it has been said like this. If mama ain't happy, finish it for me. Ain't nobody happy. We all know that phrase. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Well, we, 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 we chuckle about that. But can I say that ladies, in many respects, there's some truth in that statement. You set the temperature in the home, and I'm not talking about a physical thermostat. William Ross Wallace wrote and published in 1865 this poem. It's entitled, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle Rules the World. The final two stanzas of this poem I'm going to give to you tonight. And here's what he said. Woman, how divine your mission. Here upon our natal sod. Keep, oh keep, the young heart open. Always to the breath of God. All true trophies of the ages are from mother love empearled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Blessings on the hand of women, fathers, sons, and daughters cry. And the sacred song is mingled with the worship in the sky. Mingles where no tempest darkens, rainbows evermore are hurled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Evangelist Billy Graham made this statement. He said, The influence of a mother upon the lives of her children cannot be measured. They know, speaking of the children, they know and absorb her example and attitudes when it comes to questions of honesty, temperance, kindness, and industry. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan had four sons. He was a very well-known preacher, and all four of his boys were preachers themselves. One day they were in a room together. The whole family was gathered together and, and uh, some, some folks that were there with them, they thought, you know, we're going to see what the oldest boy is made of. His name was Howard. And, and so they posed this question to Howard Morgan. Howard, who is the greatest preacher in your family? Well, you've got a dad who's, Known, well-known, well renowned the world over, G. Campbell Morgan, and you've got four boys. What's he going to say? And there was quiet and silence in the room, and he paused for a moment, and he looked right into the eyes of his father, and he answered like this. He said, without a moment's hesitation, mother. (laughs) Mother is the greatest preacher in our home. And I just want you to know that in many respects, in many respects, he is right a mom has such an incredible role in the home. And Solomon says it this way. He says, number one, that a wise woman builds her home. A wise woman builds her home. Now, we're not talking about with nails and with drywall and with drop ceiling and with electrical and plumbing. We're not talking about that type of building. We're we're talking about building the home as far as love is concerned, as far as nurturing is concerned. In in many respects, in a spiritual sense, mom is involved wise woman is involved in building her home. Matthew Henry put it this way. He said, a good wife is a great blessing to a family. By a fruitful wife, a family is multiplied and replenished with children and so built up. Now he's talking specifically about this text. So I think what he's saying is that there is a, uh, there is a literal connection to this. As the, as the mom, as she bears children and brings them into the world, well, then she is, she is building up the home. She is building up the family. They're increasing in number thanks to her willingness to carry these children and to bring these children into the world. But he goes on, he says, it takes a step further, he says, but by a prudent wife or by a wise wife, one that is pious, industrious, and considerate, the affairs of the family are made to prosper debts are paid portions raised provision made the children well educated and maintained and the family has comfort within its doors and has credit without its doors thus is the house built clearly clearly a wise woman makes a great impact and through her the home is built i uh, i stumbled upon this text while i was preparing For this message. And I thought this is said in such an unusual way that it's got to be brought out. And I think maybe we have the verse for you. Do we have Ruth 4? Yeah, look in Ruth chapter 4. Look in verse number 11. This is, of course, the end of the story, and, and Boaz is marrying Ruth, and this is a blessing that the residents of Bethlehem Judah are placing upon Boaz as he takes in this bride, and look what he says, and all the people that were in the gate, and the elders said, we are witnesses, now notice the next phrase, the Lord make the woman that has come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. I don't know, I've never seen that before. These, these people proclaimed this blessing upon Boaz, and they said this, may God make Ruth just like he made Rachel and Leah, who, who through those two women, God built, God built this nation known as Israel. And I think that fits right in line with what we find here in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number one. That a wise woman, a wise woman builds her home. Boy, if you had a if you had a praying mother, what what an advantage you had. If you had a mother who read the scriptures and taught you the Bible, what an advantage. If you had a mama that took you to church, what a blessing. What a blessing you you have. And those of you that are ladies here tonight, uh, you can be that kind of mother, and God can use you through uh, your wisdom to build your home. But on the other side, we discover the tail end of this verse, that while a wise woman builds her home, a foolish woman tears apart her home. A foolish woman is a shame to her husband. She's a hindrance to her children, and she is a reproach to the cause of Christ. Instead of building up her home, due to her selfishness and her pride, she tears down the home instead. She refuses. She refuses to put the needs of others before her own. Everyone who lives with her only wishes to get away from her because all she does is just tear down constantly, pluck down constantly. There is conflict. There is discord. There is animosity in the foolish woman's home. So I just want you ladies to know here tonight, you have more influence than you might think. Sometimes, sometimes we live in the world and we think to ourselves, well, you know, I, I don't lead in, in some, you know, great position. I don't stand before lots of people. I, I don't have some major, major position. But listen, if you've got some little ones in that home or you've got a husband in that home, oh, listen, you are making a tremendous impact. According to what Solomon writes here, you can either build up your home or you can tear apart your home. The choice is yours. But I want you to notice there's a second hard truth that we come to in this text, and we'll skip down a few verses, and we come to verse number four, and we find it put this way, where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. And here's the second hard truth that we discover, and that is this, that success is often inconvenient and messy. Success is often inconvenient and messy. You know, a, a wise farmer made this observation. He said this many years ago. He said the hardest thing about milking cows is that they never stay milked. I thought that was sort of humorous and the way that he you know, the way that he brought that to bear I don't suppose too many of us know what it's like to live on a farm and to work on a farm, but I think we can understand where this farmer's coming from. And I think we can understand where Solomon is coming from when he writes verse number four. And here's what he says. He gives two great truths in this, in this, in this verse. And number one is this No oxen equals clean crib without increase. No oxen Equals clean crib without any crib. So, so what he's saying is this, listen, if you eliminate oxen from your life, well, then you don't have to clean up after them. I, I don't want to delve too deep into what that means, but you get the idea. You don't have to go out to the stall and you don't have to clean up the messes and you don't have to, you know, fill the troughs with feed and, and, and fill the, uh, the the troughs with water and and uh, and you don't have to get them out into the field and, and get them good exercise and get them going and get them in the harness and you don't have to do all of those things. Um, you can make, listen, you can make your life a whole lot easier without any oxen whatsoever. I mean, you can. That's the truth of the matter. There's no messes to deal with if you don't have any oxen. Life is good, or is it? A clean crib is nice, isn't it? But you know, accompanying a clean crib is a lack of increase. You know, I've discovered that the easy life is a life oftentimes without trying bold and daring things. I don't have to inconvenience myself. I don't have to put myself out there, which to be very frank is sort of honest, or sort of easy to be honest. But I also don't get to enjoy any increase either. I am stuck with the status quo. There is no advancement. There is no promotion without every once in a while doing some things that might, that might make my life a little messier. But on the tail end of that might also provide some increase as well. The second thought that we discover here is, well, if no oxen equals a clean crib without increase, well then, number two, oxen... The presence of oxen equals a dirty crib, but with increase. The presence of oxen means there will be increase in several ways. There will be an increased workload. I'm going to have to do more to care for these oxen, bottom line. In other words, if I'm, if I'm making the step and I'm saying, you know, listen, we're going to bring some oxen into our home or into our family and we're going to introduce these things. Well, then I am, I am saying that I understand by doing this, I'm going to have to work a whole lot harder. I'm gonna have to get out into that barn every day, really, really early in the morning, and I'm gonna have to, you know, do some work so that those oxen have a clean place to to live and a clean place to sleep and and uh, and are in a, in a good place and stay safe from illness and disease. And, and so I'm, I'm I'm recognizing there is going to be an increased workload. Then there there's also going to be an increase in what I'm able to get done each day. Did you ever stop to think about that? When he says that there's increase by the strength of the ox, he's saying there is an increased workload, no doubt about it. And there's also an increase in what I'm able to get done each day. Now I don't know how big the field that Solomon had in his mind was, but let's just imagine for a moment that it is a field that is several acres large. The presence of oxen means that we can plow that field and we can do what needs to be done in a whole lot shorter amount of time than if we did not have oxen. There's, a, there's more that we're able to get done. Uh, without them, I can only do so much. But with them, I can do considerably more. And, and I think he's acknowledging that there, not only is there going to be an increase in my workload, and there's going to be an increase in what I'm able to do each day, but there's also going to be an increase in my earnings. The oxen, their, their very presence is going to enable me to do more, which is going to be to enable me to produce more and to sell more and to bring more financially into my home. So in other words, their presence enables you to do and accomplish more, which is beneficial to your bottom line or to your success. So here's the decision that must be made. You could have a neat and orderly life in a home with little to no problems, or you can have a life that is sometimes chaotic, frantic, busy, and exhausting, but is filled with increase. Increase maybe financially. Increase perhaps relationally. Increase maybe even spiritually. I've talked to some people who've said things like this to me, maybe prior to marriage. I never want to get married. I never want to get married. Now, I don't know where, that, where something like that comes from. I always wanted to get married, and I think the vast majority of people that I talk to want to get married. And so I, I, I don't know. I suppose you'd have to delve into what's behind a, a statement like that. But perhaps, perhaps just bear with me for a moment. Maybe, maybe they're thinking about the fact that maybe someone that they knew and someone that they loved got married, and then they got their heart broken because something horrible took place and something horrible transpired. And as a result, as a result, it sort of scarred them towards the concept of marriage. And so in their minds, in their minds, they equate marriage with sort of a dirty crib. A lot of work and, and really, really, you know, it ends up being really messy and, and you really don't get a, a whole lot out of it because, well, that's, that's what happened there and then i've and then i've also met i've also met people who are married and they've looked at me and they've said this they said well yeah we're married but we don't want any children i understand that a little bit more than i understand i'm, I'm just teasing of course i love i love having children i love being a dad it is a glorious and a wonderful thing but i will tell you this every once in a while it's messy you know that don't you it's messy Dealing with children and, and them dealing with us and working through some things and uh, and you know the struggles that are, the struggles that are there but you know as well as I do that the presence of children in your home it equals increase oh an increased workload <laughs> there'll be more to do oh no question about it more to do every once in a while my wife and I will uh, will will be traveling alone or doing something like that and and uh, and we'll pause for just a moment this is weird. You know, this is really weird. There's, uh, there, there's not the, the, the voices of children, and there's not us having to say do this and do that and get this taken care of, and, and we just kind of sit back and we look at each other and we think, is this what our future looks like? Where we're just sitting in a room together, looking at one another, and you know we can we can talk and we can do whatever it is that we want to do. If we want to go for a walk, if we want to do this or we want to do that, our schedule is is uh, you know is is much much less than what is. Uh, you you get the idea, right? The presence of children in the home is an increased workload. Oh, there's there's counseling. You know you're you know you're a counselor, don't you? As a parent, you are a counselor. There's guidance, there's teaching and training, and there's discipline. And there's, uh, you know, there's, there's financial elements in which you've got to work harder to be able to provide for those children. But listen, don't, don't lose sight of this. The children, children are an increase. Children, Marriage is an increase. Listen, getting closer to God, some of you look at that, and that's a little scary. Well, I don't know. I don't know that I want to get that close to God. What if he asked me to do something extreme? What if he asked me to do something really out there? Do I, do I really want to have success in my walk with God? Here's what you need to know. Success can be inconvenient and it can be messy, but, but, but here's what you also need to know. It is always worth it. The increase that comes is always a blessing. I heard my pastor when I was in college preach a message in which he encourages hearers from this passage, and here was the title of the message, Keep the Ox and Clean the Crib. That was the title of the message. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, don't look at the oxen and get caught up in the messes that the oxen make. No, no, understand that the oxen enable you to do a whole lot more than you could have ever done. And he talk about things that are messy in the church. You know, you know, from time to time, the bus ministry can be messy. You know that, don't you? It costs a lot of money. Sometimes sometimes the riders that we bring in, maybe sometimes they don't know how to necessarily carry themselves in church. Maybe they, maybe they act out or they, they, they talk out. And so, and so the bus ministry can be a little messy. But listen, the bus ministry brings increase. Oh, every time. You know, the nursing home ministry, it can be a little, it can be a little messy. I remember several years ago, I was preaching in a nursing home, It was actually Brother Jack's nursing home. He'll remember. You knew I was going here with this story, didn't you? He did not tell me. He did not tell me that the nursing home I was preaching in was a uh, a, a memory care type of a nursing home. He should have let me know that. Don't you suppose he should have let me know that? I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I stood in the front of that group of people. I had my Bible open, and I was preaching a message. I was brand new in the ministry, and all of a sudden, out of my peripheral vision, a, a dear, sweet little old lady started wheeling in my direction. You know what I mean by that. She's in her wheelchair, and she's moving towards me. Well, I thought, I, I don't know what she's doing. I'm just going to keep on preaching, and so I keep on preaching. And before long, she has, she has made her way. She is right there, and she begins to ram her wheelchair into my leg while I'm preaching. And I'm standing there, and I got Flustered. Now, I was fresh out of Bible college. I thought I was the next Billy Graham. You know, I thought I was the next great preacher. And I'm telling you, I was so flustered and I was so, you know, tore up by this experience that I think I basically said every head bowed and every eye closed. We're done. <laughs> We're done. Now the, now, the nursing home ministry, it can, it can be a little bit messy, can't it? But you know what? There's increase there. Those are, those are, those are souls who are dying without Christ. And I tell you, they're in a, they're in a really precarious place. So somebody somebody needs to go to them and somebody needs to preach the gospel to them. Do I have to tell you that the nursery the nursery is a messy place to be? You know that, don't you? But can I can I tell you that without the nursery then we can't we can hardly have a service in here? You a bunch of children in here squawking and crying and making noise and running all over the place. And how in the world, how were are we ever going to preach the gospel and have people hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ unless somebody is over there working in the nursery, working with children? Oh, there's, there's increase when we do these things. And, and he would talk about a number of things along those lines. And I think, I think we just need to be reminded of that truth. That there are some things in ministry that are inconvenient and they're messy. There's some things in life that are inconvenient and messy. But listen, at the tail end of those things, if you see them through, if you make the investment, there is increase. And so the, the truth is you hold on to the oxen and you just work extra hard to keep the cl- the crib clean. Because with those oxen, there is much increase by their strength. There are things that can be done that, that could not be done otherwise. Let me share one final truth from this text tonight. Look in verse number 13. Solomon writes, even in laughter, the heart is sorrowful, and the end of that mirth is heaviness. Here's the third hard truth. I want you to get it tonight. A mask hides a lot from view. A mask hides a lot from view. You know, in recent days, we've all been introduced to mask wearing, haven't we? For many years, those who sought to conceal their identity While doing wicked deeds, they often did so through the use of a mask. Kidnappers, bank robbers, thieves, and even murderers all wore masks in order to conceal their identity. Because of this, because of this, it used to be that you could not enter a bank, a place of business, a school building, or even a church with a mask on. Now, are you seeing the irony in all of this? (laughs) All of that changed during the COVID pandemic, didn't it? So that, so that we, actually, we actually flipped the thing all the way over and you could not enter those places without a mask on. Can you believe that? Now I have to think the bank robbers thought, what a day. This is glorious. We have, we have been forbidden from wearing masks all this time. We've had to get really creative with this thing. But now we can march into any bank and we have to have one of these on. This is grand and glorious, isn't it? Um, we are familiar, again, with this idea of mask-wearing to slow the spread of a virus or maybe to conceal one's physical identity. But Solomon writes that, that you know, we, we can also be guilty of masking our true condition or our true feelings with laughter or with mirth. Boy, this is a convicting thought. The premise is, uh, of verse number 13 is this, that laughter or mirth is only outward. It is only an outward manifestation because the inner man is, is, is still filled with sorrow and heartache. So let me share two thoughts with you, I think, from this particular verse. Number one, I'm going to just say this. The burdens that we carry, they are heavy, aren't they? The burdens we care are, carry are heavy. He talks about that in verse number 13. He talks about sorrow, and he talks about heaviness. Sorrow and heaviness. Life is hard, and, and did you know that life will always be hard? It's true for everyone, even those who seemingly are living their best life. The curse of sin touches every life and does so regularly. I, um, this past Monday, had an opportunity to spend an hour or so with the governor of our state in his home. I've been there on, I think it's maybe the third time that I've been there. I serve on an evangelical advisory council in which we just go and we, uh, shares some things that are on our heart, and we have an opportunity to hear from him. And um, the last several meetings have been in his home. He lives in a beautiful, beautiful community outside of Columbus, Ohio, one of an old stately mansion. It's owned by the state of Ohio, and, and the governor lives there while he's in office. And every time I walk into that home, I walk in and I think to myself, this would be awesome to live here. I mean, you walk in and there's a grand foyer and there's a beautiful staircase and it's sort of old, um, it's old style, old world, it's stone and, and uh, man, the rooms are massive and, and, uh, and he's got a beautiful garden in the back that I'm sure he spends a lot of time on. No, I'm sure, I'm sure somebody else probably takes care of that garden for him and beautiful furniture, beautiful paintings that hang a wall and fireplaces. I mean, you name it. And I, and I, I sit in that home and I think to myself, boy, this would be really cool. And then I think, what comes with that job? <laughs> and I think to myself, this wouldn't really be all that cool. I'll, I'll, I'll stick with my little ranch in Parma Heights, Ohio. I think I'm good there. And you know, the truth of the matter is, is that no matter who you are, no matter who you are, no matter how much money you make, no matter what neighborhood you live in, no matter what kind of car you drive or how much is in your 401k, listen, no matter what, the curse of sin is going to touch your life. There are going to be really, really heavy days. They're going to be really, really sorrowful days. Your boss, the best athlete on your team, the pastor of your church, the most likely to succeed in your class, and the best-looking person you know, along with everyone in between, deals, every last one of us, deals with heartache and deals with sorrow. That's just the bottom line. Living, Living in this earth, living this life, oh, there's heartache and there is sorrow. The burdens we carry are heavy. Can I say this, number two, as I think about what he writes here in this text? I think what he's saying is this, at the end of our best day, sorrow and heaviness will always be our companions. Now think about that for a moment. On your best day that's filled with laughter and mirth, we might be given a reprieve or a break from the sorrow and the heaviness, but it's only temporary because, listen, those things are still waiting for us when we arrive at home at night. Sometimes we fill our lives with fun and enjoyable things. And sometimes, sometimes we do that just to get our minds off of the stresses and the burdens and the cares of this life and of this world. You know what I've discovered? I've discovered that you can have a lot of fun doing those things, but when you come home at night, the fun is over, and the heaviness and the sorrow still remains. So what is, what is he saying? He's, saying? he's saying that laughter sometimes it serves as a mask to conceal one's true identity. That mirth, it, 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 conceals, uh, it conceals the heaviness and the sorrow that an individual is dealing with. So what do you suppose the answer is? Here's what I think the answer is. The answer is this. Listen, folks, be real. Be real. It's okay, it's okay, to, it's okay to be vulnerable and to be honest, to be transparent for someone to come to you and, 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 and say, hey, how are you doing? And, and just be honest with them and say, I'm not doing that great. I've got this burden. I've got that burden. I've got a, a doctor's appointment that is on the horizon. But you know what we all do? We, we wear a mask, don't we? And we smile and we laugh. I'm wonderful. Everything is glorious. Everything is great. And, 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 and you know what we're doing? We're only hurting ourselves. Because it, be, it may be the very person that has come and has inquired about how we're doing, maybe that person could be a prayer partner for us. Maybe that person has gone through a similar circumstance and could could say, you know, I went through that very same thing, and here's how God led me through that particular trial. That a mask, listen, a mask hides a lot from view. So be real. Be real. You know, it's good. It's good to laugh and enjoy life, but everybody has problems, and everybody hurts. I think what what he's saying, and I think what I'm saying tonight is this, that it's okay every once in a while to take the mask off. It's okay every once in a while to let folks know, you know, I'm not doing that great. I'm hurting, and I'm struggling. Would you pray for me? As a family, we're in the middle of a trial. You don't have to give every detail. You don't have to dive real deep with the thing. But I do think you ought to be real, and you ought to be honest. I believe that when you are, when you pull that mask down, give opportunity for people to see how you're really doing. I think in those moments, I think in those moments, you might find a true friend. You might find someone who can help you bear that burden or someone who can coach you through it or teach you through it. I'm just simply saying a mask hides a lot from view. I'm going to finish here tonight. I have several other things in this particular text that I just think just jump off the page or such great truths, but they're hard truths because when we read them, we think, you know, I, I, I don't know that that's really the way that I want to live. I don't know that I want to get that vulnerable with the thing. Well, let's think about the three things we've discussed tonight. Number one, ladies, ladies, oh, you have much more influence maybe than you give yourself credit for. Oh, God can use you in a great way in your home and in your family. How about this idea of success? We all want to be successful, but sometimes we're not willing, we're not willing to bring the oxen in because we realize, well, if I bring the oxen in, there's going to be an increased workload and there's going to be more expected of me and life can get really, really messy. Oh, but then we miss out on the increase that God wants us all to have. And then finally, how about, how about this idea of just being real, just being transparent, just being open and honest, with starting with our family, including our church family? How about being just real and open and honest with God? Is it, is it possible that sometimes we even, through laughter and through mirth and, and through a mask, we try, to, we try to pull a fast one on God as if he cannot see and he does not know? the true condition of our lives and of our hearts may God help us to be real and to be honest